Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Amen, amen. Thank you, Julie. Um, it's great to be in the house of the Lord on the best Sunday of the year, right? Fall backwards Sunday. This is the best. You all look great. Look like you've rested well. And I want to, I want to welcome Bob Schichtel back to church. Bob, great to see you, buddy. Bob had a struggle with COVID in the hospital, and it's great to see you, man, and your family. And uh, you're, I mean, you're looking good for a guy. So praise God for that. Uh, glad that you're here today. Um, so good to gather in the house of the Lord. One thing I want to make sure I tell you, we will be doing the Lord's Supper next Sunday. I meant we usually have the first Sunday, but it fits so well in the text next week. Well, the Lord's Supper next Sunday, usually it's the first Sunday of the month, so it'll be next Sunday and then again on December the 5th. How are y'all? Y'all look good. Really good. It's great to be with you. Um, Not long ago, I, I lay down in bed and I could hear something ticking. You ever had this happen? And 60 Minutes was not on. You know, and there's just this, this ticking going. I don't, and we don't have like a grandfather clock. We don't have one of those ticking clocks that you can always hear. I know for some people, a ticking clock reminds you of home, right? Because you heard that all the time. And on the hour, the clock would strike and all that kind of stuff. But in my house, we don't do that because that kind of drives us nuts. And I'm, I'm trying to go to sleep and this thing is ticked. And I'm, what is that? What is that? And I look, on the, and on the, the nightstand beside my bed is a watch that's been there for weeks, but for some reason I could hear it going tick, 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 tick. So I hit it with a hammer. Actually, I didn't. I moved it to another room. I actually liked that watch, but I never knew it had that ticking sound. It reminded me of that story, right, by Edgar Allan Poe, The Telltale Heart. How many of you read that in high school? Um, it, there's this constant ticking. Edgar Allan Poe, 1843, published this short story, and the story goes that he lived with this guy, this narrator lives with this man, and he has this, this what he called a vulture eye, an evil eye, and it looked at him, and it just like looked right through to his soul, and it started to drive him crazy, and he thought, I've got to do something about this, and for eight days, he waited, and he looked in on him, and then finally, he, he kills him, and he puts him in the floor underneath the house, and he thinks everything's okay. The police come, and he, he tells them, oh, this, the cry you heard was me. I, was, I was, had a bad dream. And, and listen to the last three paragraphs of the story. Edgar Allan, Poe, Edgar Allan Poe says this. He says, my easy, quiet manner made the policemen believe my story. So they sat talking with me in a friendly way. But although I answered them in the same way, I, I soon wished that they would go. My head hurt. And there was a strange sound in my ears. I talked more and faster, and the sound became clear. And still they sat and talked, and suddenly I knew that the sound was not in my ears. It was not just inside my head. At that moment, I must have become quite white. I, I talked still faster and louder, and the sound, too, became louder. And it was quick, low, soft sound, like the sound of a clock heard through a wall. 
a sound I knew well. Louder it became and louder. Why did, why did the men not go? Louder and louder, I stood up and I, I walked quickly around the room and I pushed my chair across the floor to make more noise to cover the terrible sound. I talked even louder and still the men sat and talked and smiled. Was it possible they could not hear? No, they heard. I was certain of it. They knew. How was it? How was it that they were playing a game with me? I was suffering more than I could bear from their smiles and from that sound, louder and louder and louder, and suddenly I could bear it no longer, and I pointed at the boards and I cried, yes, yes, I killed him. Pull up the boards and you shall, you shall see I killed him. But why does his heart not stop beating? Why does it not stop? You ever heard of ticking? You ever heard of sound you just couldn't get away from? Guilt is a powerful, powerful emotion. It affects us physiologically, affects us emotionally, affects us physically. It's something that we just strive to deal with. And today, Peter is going to provide a remedy for that. The title of our message today is The Telltale Heart Remedy from Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. So if you have your Bibles or you have a device, Please look at Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Jesus has come. He lived a perfect life. He died willingly on a Roman cross. He was buried, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. Fifty days later, Pentecost happened, and the Lord poured out His Holy Spirit on people, 120 people, and they began to speak in different languages they didn't know. And so people who were in town from around the world could understand the gospel message was being proclaimed in a miraculous way. And as some people saw that, they thought, oh, these people are, are drunk. They're filled with a different kind of spirit. It's just drunkenness that's happening here. So Peter, he stands up and he explains. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. The word of the Lord says this. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, which is 9 a.m. incidentally. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he quotes from the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a powerful statement from Peter. It's, it's not drunkenness, and he's speaking to the men of Jerusalem and Judea, the, basically the local people of Israel that are in town, and he's telling them this story. He says, listen, it's not drunkenness. This is the Spirit of God being poured out. This is God's activity. You know, sometimes when God begins to speak, we don't understand Maybe that was you the first time you heard the gospel message and you thought, you know what, it doesn't really make sense. It sounds like someone's kind of lost their mind a little bit. I don't understand. And it really does take the Spirit speaking to you in your heart for you to understand. 
Peter says, this is not drunkenness. This is what Joel predicted, your prophet from the Old Testament that you're familiar with. He says there's a new era that has begun with the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a new epoch in time, if you will. It's after Jesus has come and paid the price, he pours his spirit out to bring God glory and to draw people to Jesus. And it's going to be, this era is going to be characterized by three things, primarily. First, all kinds of people. Not just priests, not just the trained, not just Jews, not just Baptists. Well, maybe just Baptists. No, not just Baptists. All kinds of people are going to be able to speak the message of Jesus in a powerful and supernatural way. Men and women, young and old, the rich and the poor, the servant and the, the rich person, all kinds of people are going to be sharing this message of Jesus throughout the world. That's what this era is going to be marked by, and that's literally what we're seeing today, isn't it? Who told you about Jesus? Chances are it wasn't a priest or a preacher. It's probably a friend or a parent. That's what's happening today is God has poured his spirit out through people into other people. Secondly, it's going to be marked by some signs and wonders in creation, in earth and in heavens. There's going to be some things that are happening that are freaking people out to remind them that what? There is an end that's coming. There is an end to this era. And that's why when you see things happen, natural disasters, you see crazy things like the blood moon, or you see crazy things that happen like eclipses, and you see disasters and hurricanes and earthquakes and all those things, they point toward what? They point to there will be a day. There will be a day when Jesus returns and deals with evil once and for all. So the Spirit is poured out, number one. Number two, there needs to be a sense of urgency that we don't know when this era is over. We don't know when the clock runs out. And third, this era is marked by the reality that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me ask you, have have you called on the name of the Lord? And what that phrase means, it means that that to call on him for help. Jesus, I need your help. I'm I'm not going to be good enough. I can't get there. I realize I need your help. I want to call upon the name of the Lord. And it's not just within a certain ethnicity. It's not within a certain nation. It's everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A new era has dawned. And this new era was brought in by Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 22, Peter continues, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So we've got to understand who this Jesus is, right? Here's what happens. He says, is this Jesus God attested to or God endorsed? God said, this is really my son. What? Through all kinds of miracles, right? Through healing people, through casting out demons, through controlling a storm, and ultimately through raising people from the dead. This was 
Jesus attested to as being God. He was God, is God. And within God's foreknowledge and God's plan, Jesus was delivered up to be crucified. Would you remember, Jesus didn't get crucified unwillingly. It was a part of God's plan. But that in no way nullifies the guilt of those who did it, right? See, God works even through the evilest plans of men. God is working that all together for good for him, for his glory and for his people. Just like in Genesis, when the story of Joseph, you know well that Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. What happens? Joseph becomes a key leader in Egypt. And as a result, he prepares the, the land with lots of food. And when his brothers come and need his help, takes care of them. They're fearful. He's going to kill them, but he doesn't, right? He cares for them. He takes care of his family. And he says this classic phrase, what God, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So whatever evil's been done, God means it for good and for his glory. It was God's plan that Jesus would go to the cross, but we put him there. Here's what Peter's saying. You people, you, you guys of Jerusalem, you Israelites, you actually put him on the cross and he's talking to people who were probably there and they probably said, oh, crucify him, crucify him. See, Jesus had brought this incredible different view of life to them. He'd pop the balloon that would say, we're good enough and we can keep the law good enough. See, Jesus' message was repent and receive the good news of Jesus. See the good news of the kingdom. Never underestimate human resistance to repentance. You see, that's what put Jesus on the cross. The desire to say, I'm good, I don't need to repent. Jesus, you can't blow up our whole system. We're good. And when a man comes and says we're not good and that we need him in order to be good, people put him on the cross. Pharisees and the priests may have led it, and they've got the Romans to do it, but there's a crowd around saying, crucify him, crucify him, yes, crucify him, I'm good. I don't want to hear that I'm not good. You see, you and I killed him too. You say, no, that's not true, I would have never done that. You know me, I would have stood up among the crowd, and I would have said, no, don't crucify him. No, you wouldn't. His own disciples didn't even do that. The ones who knew him best, who loved him best, who had him poured in, who had Jesus poured in the morning, they, they didn't stand up, they didn't stop him. One of them denied him, and the other one just kind of hung back in the crowd, and the rest of them scattered. No, you wouldn't have. You see, your sin put him on the cross. Your pride, when he said, I'm good, that put him on the cross. That little sin that you committed earlier today when you told that little lie, that put him on the cross. That critical attitude, that put him on the cross. That angry outrage, that, that put him on the cross. That unwillingness to allow Jesus to rule in your life, that put him on the cross. That lack of love for him, that put him on the cross. That lack of love for your neighbor, that put him on the cross. You see, you killed Jesus as well, and so did I. We have to understand that. Hadn't been for sin, Jesus never would have had to die. We put him on the cross. 
But praise the Lord, he didn't stay dead. He didn't stay dead. God raised him back up. See, your sin was not strong enough to kill Jesus or to keep him dead. He rose from the dead. Peter goes on to explain what happened as David prophesied. Look at at Acts 2, 25 through 35. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of light. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, For the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Here's what Peter is saying. David wasn't talking about himself. David was foreseeing who Jesus would be, that this Jesus would be on the throne forever, that this Jesus would die but would come back from the dead, and that he would sit at the right hand of God and he would pour out his spirit on earth. That's what David predicted. See, not only did you kill Jesus, but now he's in charge. He's sitting at the right hand and he's poured his spirit out. He's active in this place even today. See, some people think, well, well, kind of a deistic view that, you know, God, Jesus came, but then he took off and he's not really hanging out. No, he sent his spirit. He's having effect on today, on your heart right now in this place. It either should thrill you or scare you to death. This Jesus sits at the right hand of God. Peter goes on and he says this in verse 36. Let all the house of of Israel, therefore now for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Here's what he's saying. See, Jesus is Lord. I've heard people say, you know what, I I want to receive Jesus, but I'm not sure I want to make him Lord. I, I want to repent of my sin and I want to get salvation, but I still got some stuff I want to do. You don't know Jesus, if that's where you are. Let me just be honest with you. You don't know him, because let me tell you, he's Lord whether you know it or not. You don't get to like tap part of him and say, hey, I want to make a little side deal with you, Jesus. No, he said, he is Lord. He is Lord. That's the reality, whether you receive it or not. So there is no, hey, I want to be saved, but I don't want to make him Lord. That doesn't happen. He made him both Lord and Messiah. He made him Lord and Messiah. He is the God who rules. He is the God who saves. He's both. It's an incredible picture of Jesus. Peter's driven his point home, and conviction begins to happen. And you can hear the telltale heart ticking away of the people who are listening. Oh, my goodness. 
What am I going to do? Verse 37. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, which means they, were, they felt a stab. Have you ever felt that stab of guilt? Have you ever felt that, oh my goodness, I'm wrong. Oh my goodness. This... Homer uses this word to describe, he says it describes a, a horse beating its foot against the ground. It's a telltale heart, isn't it? You feel that. They're cut to the quick. They're cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What can we do? You ever feel that way? I mean, there's some things you can repent of and you can ask for forgiveness of with friends, but, and it can kind of, you can cover it over. Maybe you can pay a fine or maybe you can pay for what you broke, but some things you can't. The drunk driver can never bring back the person they killed, right? The wayward spouse can never pay for all the pain they brought on their family. The wayward child can never make up for all the nights their parents wrung their hands and tried to figure out what they could do. There's some things you just can't repay. But Jesus made a way. What can we do? Peter says this, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Repent and be baptized. Let me ask you, is that good news for you? Have you known what repentance is? It's saying, I'm wrong. Even that little sin, that was, that was wrong. And I'm, I'm sorry. God, I know that I am wrong. Can you say that spiritually before the Lord? You see, so many times we come to church and we're like, you know, everyone looks pretty good. They don't look like they've sinned lately. Oh, I would love for us all to share how we sinned this week, wouldn't you? We're going to start with the deacons. So guys, no, I'm kidding. But you know what I mean? We have a hard time saying, God, I'm wrong. I've sinned. And I'm sorry. Big difference between being wrong and sorry, right? Some people, you know, I'm wrong, but I don't really care to hurt you, you know? <laughs> Good luck with that. Hope it works out for you. See you later. Sorry. You're not sorry. Sorry says, I wish that never happened. I don't want to be that way. I want to turn around. To admit you're wrong is to say, I'm driving on 995 to Miami, but I'm not going to turn around even though I've got to get to Jupiter. Right? Say, I'm sorry, is to turn around and say, not only am I wrong, but I'm sorry. I'm turning around. I'm going the other way. I'm not going to try to get to Jupiter by going south of 995. And God, I need you to forgive me. There's no amount of good deeds I can do to make up for this. Let me ask you, are you trying to make up for some stuff you did before? Trying to make up for some things? Do you know that's offensive to Jesus Christ? Because when you do that, and you should pay back any restitution if you broke it, but I mean, don't keep trying to do for Jesus stuff he's already done for you. No way, Jesus, I'll get back to you after I figure out all the good stuff I can do to make up for that bad time I had. Don't do that. That's called selfishness. That's called humanist. That's called, I don't need you, Jesus. Peter says, what can you do right now when you're convicted, when you're cut to the heart, when the clock is ticking, when the heartbeat is beating louder and louder? What can you Repent and be baptized. Repent, Jesus, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I need to be forgiven. And please, 
Lead me not in the way of temptation. God, keep me off that road. That's what repentance is. You say, well, Steve, what about baptism? What's this big deal you guys have with baptism? What do you, what do you call baptism? Here's why. See, baptism is a public acknowledgement that I needed to be claimed. Right? I mean, you all look like you've had a bath recently. You didn't just come in here and say, you know what? I don't really get dirty. Because we would all know pretty soon. We would all know you need to be cleansed. Spiritually, you need to be cleansed. To say you've repented and not be baptized is like someone saying, you know what? I want to marry you, but I don't want to tell anybody. I want you to be my wife, but let's just keep it on the down low. Jesus, I need for you to save me, but I don't really want anyone to know that because I really want to feel good about myself. No, you see, you were baptized to say, I want to make a public acknowledgement that I, Steve Thomas, needed to be cleansed. I needed a spiritual bath. Have you been there? Have you done that? That's what baptism's all about. Many of you have. Sometimes, though, people have been in church for a while, they forget about the fact that they ever needed to be baptized. They're feeling pretty good about themselves. I haven't sinned lately, at least not in a big way. And I, I forgot that actually I, oh, I sinned. I needed for Jesus to, to cleanse me. And sometimes we quit living what I would call a baptized life. We act like, oh, we never need Jesus to die for us. We're so stinking good. That was a back in the old. No, listen, we need to live a life that is a baptized life that we're constantly being cleansed through repentance. You don't need to be rebaptized unless your baptism came before you actually accepted Christ. This is why if you were baptized as a child before as a baby, we say, listen, you need to be baptized after you've repented. This is a symbol of what God has done. See, here's what we need to remember. Number one, that while your sin put Jesus on the cross, the cross of Jesus paid for your sin. Your sin put Jesus on the cross, but the cross of Jesus paid for your sin. But as long as you say you have no sin, Jesus is of no benefit for you, and you stand guilty and you're trying to assuage that guilt in some way. You know, maybe that glass of wine isn't to celebrate. Maybe it's to stop you from thinking that you're guilty before the Lord. Maybe all that stuff you're buying, you don't really need, but you're just trying to make up for the fact you feel guilty before the Lord. Maybe you were baptized years ago, but you really haven't repented in a very long time. And you've kind of assumed that everything's okay. Maybe right now you're hearing that heartbeat louder and louder, and louder, and the Holy Spirit saying, no, you, you need to repent. What you did today, this week, is that what's happening? You see, we need to live baptized life, a life that is constantly saying, Jesus, I, I stand convicted before you. Not a life that says, Jesus, look at all that I've done. It's a life that says, Jesus, I, I'm a sinner. I don't want to live like I'm not. I don't want people to think I got it all together. I want people to think that you cleanse someone like me. If you live like that, you will sin less. Live a baptized life. Would you bow with me?
Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.